believers have faced persecution and martyrdom since the earliest days of Christianity. Does the future hold any hope? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at the martyrs profiled in Revelation chapter 6 with encouragement to let their courage inspire you to stand strong for Christ, no matter the cost. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Martyrs. I want to thank you for joining us today. We're finishing up uh, this month with part two of the three-part 31 Undeniable Prophecies series based upon the book, The Book of Signs, a 460-page book that outlines the major events that are coming in the future. By the way, you can get that book from Turning Point um, by going to davidjeremiah.org. And you can order the study guides there, too. Um, The study guides give you a summary of everything we're talking about on the radio for March, April, and May. It's a great way to get your arms around the vast number of uh, discussions and uh, events that are going to take place in the future. So today we'll finish up our discussion on the martyrs as we look at Revelation chapter 6. And then tomorrow and Friday, we're going to talk about the 144,000 witnesses. Hey, let me just remind you again that we're headed into Alaska on July 16th through the 23rd. We're back into the cruise routine that we abandoned because of COVID. Uh, We're going to have a great time together. We have Uriel Vega and Michael Sanchez with us. We'll be uh, discovering new insights from the Bible, visiting Alaska's legendary capital, Juneau. We'll be going lots of wonderful places, and you don't want to miss this opportunity to see Glacier Bay. We're going to see some great things, and we'd love for you to come along. You can find out about it once again at davidjeremiah.org. Well, our Bibles are open. We finish up today our discussion of the martyrs from Revelation chapter 6. These saints in the tribulation period are going to be sacrificed on the altar of their devotion to God and their witness and adherence to the word of God. We must remember that when the church is raptured, the restraint of the Holy Spirit will be removed from this earth. And the rulers of that day will target the followers of Christ and vent their anger against them as they vent their anger against Almighty God. The testimony that they held is likely a reference to the judgment that these believers will preach. As the events of the tribulation intensify, they will not back away. They will warn that even more severe judgment is to come. As they have become Christians and have understood the word of God and understood the prophecies of the future, they will warn their fellow travelers on planet earth that if you think this judgment is bad, you better get right with God because it's going to get worse. They will preach repentance and reckoning and they will be killed for their message. I remember some years ago reading a paragraph written by a man that you know I greatly admire, Dr. W.A. Criswell. He offers this reminder that it is part of a prophet's very nature to proclaim judgment. He says, whenever there's a true prophet of God, he will preach judgment. These modern so-called ministers of God speak all things nice. There's not any hell anymore, there's not any devil anymore, and there's not any judgment anymore. In our enlightened and sophisticated day, we stand up and we speak of the love of Jesus, and we speak of peace, and we speak of all things pretty and beautiful. But remember, 
The same book that tells us about the good tells us about the bad. The same revelation that speaks to us about heaven speaks to us about hell. The Bible that presents the Lord Jesus as the Savior is the same Bible that presents to us the devil as our enemy and the adversary of damnation and destruction. The two go together. If there is not anything to be saved from, you don't need a Savior. Men and women, that's a message we all need to listen to. Nobody likes to preach judgment. Everybody loves to preach the love of Jesus. But you know what? You have to take the Bible as it is. And in the future, as we learn, there's going to be a time of judgment on this earth. And those who stand for Christ, like these martyrs, are going to pay a price because of their unwillingness to back down when the heat is on, the cause of their martyrdom. Notice the consequences of it. This is the scripture behind the story. Once again, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. At this point in John's account, he looks from earth back to heaven, and the word he uses to describe the death of these saints is a word that is translated by the word slain, but a better word would be the word slaughtered. It's a sacrificial word which speaks of the special nature of these Jewish witnesses. To the world, they are slaughtered, but to God, they are offered as a sacrifice to him. They gave their lives for the Lord, and the Lord looked upon them as his. They are his martyrs. And then there's the cry of martyrdom in the next verse, verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on this earth? Now, if you're a theologian, you know this is what they call an imprecatory cry. These souls of the slain martyrs are in heaven, and they're crying out to God, When are you going to avenge our death? When are you going to get even with the people on earth who took our lives? Now, you know immediately that this is not the church age because there is no such cry during the church age. Remember when Stephen was killed and he was martyred for his faith? What did he cry out? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. That's what you do in the age of grace. But in the Old Testament and in the tribulation period, and they're kind of joined together at the hip, the Old Testament and the tribulation period, it is quite righteous to cry out for the judgment against those who mistreat the people of God. The tribulation will be a time when the judgment of God will be meted out against those who took the lives of these martyrs. And so they're crying out, Lord, how long before you're going to do this? We're waiting, Lord, for you to wreak judgment on these people who violated you and us in the process. And the Lord says, it's not time yet. We have to wait till all of the martyrdom is done. When it's all finished and everybody's been martyred, who's going to be martyred, we'll take care of business. Now notice at the end uh, the comfort of their martyrdom. And this is the cool part of this text. Verse 11 says, that they're in heaven now, having given their lives for the Lord, having given up their lives instead of giving up their faith. And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the numbers of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. If you'll notice this verse carefully, and one other verse I want to add in a moment, there are five things that God does for these who give their lives 
for their faith. First of all, he provides a place of refuge for them. The vision of these faithful servants under the altar is meant to convey their redemption and protection. Donald Gray Barnhouse says, to be under the altar is to be covered in the sight of God by that merit which Jesus Christ provided in dying on the cross. It is a figure that speaks of justification. These martyred witnesses are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are under the altar where the blood was applied in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. They are protected. They are in refuge. They are safe. No one can ever touch them again. The refuge. Notice they're given a robe. God in his gracious love and mercy rewards each martyr with a right robe. Now, I don't know if this strikes you, but immediately, if you read this carefully, you have to ask yourself, if these are souls under the altar, how in the world do they wear a robe? You can't put a robe on a ghost, except in the movies. So obviously, they are given some sort of a temporary body while they are there. It's not the resurrection body. It's not the body they will have throughout eternity. But in this interim period, these martyred saints are given some sort of intermediate body, and the Bible says a robe is placed upon them. A robe could not hang on an immaterial soul or a spirit. It is not the kind of body that Christians have now. It's not the body they're going to have in the future. It's an intermediate, temporary body suited for their presence in heaven, but replaced by their everlasting resurrection body at the time of Christ's return. So now we see these who have given their lives and martyrdom for their faith. They're in refuge under the altar. Now they've been given this white robe, which is significant of their righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. And then it says they're given rest. When the martyrs ask how long it will be until their deaths are avenged, they are told to rest for a little while. As the martyrs wait to be avenged, they are said, rest. Now, how many of you know, that's a wonderful thing to think about, but most of us don't know anything about it. I'm not really good at resting, are you? But every once in a while, when you do, and you experience the beauty and blessing of it, you think, why don't I do this more often? Right? Well, I may not learn how to rest here, but when you get to heaven, there's going to be times of rest. In fact, here's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament book of Revelation. I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Sometimes in the ministry, there are periods of great intensity. This has been one such period for me. I was getting a vicarious blessing reading these verses that there is a time of rest. It's not now, maybe not in my lifetime, but in due time, we'll get to rest from our labors and our works do follow us. So there's refuge under the altar. There's a robe they put on. There's the rest, and then there's retribution. Notice, the Scripture tells us that God is going to judge these who have mistreated his faithful servants. Revelation 14 says, Thrust his sickle 
into the earth and gather the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. This picture of judgment is one of the most graphic descriptions of God's wrath against the evil deeds of humanity in the Bible. You know, I've had a new perspective on that during these days that I've been studying this. Sometimes we think judgment is wrong and how can a God who is a loving God ever judge anybody? And how does this fit the picture that we want to have of God? But I want to remind you, men and women, a God who will not judge evil cannot be a God. A God who does not see evil as that which needs to be punished cannot be holy and righteous. Listen to me, how could we ever worship a God who would look at the kind of evil that is happening in our world today? The atrocities, for instance, where people are being massacred and beheaded and all of that, and God would stand behind and look at all of that and just say, well, I'm a loving God. I can't do anything about that. There's no God like that. The God we have is both a loving God and a God of justice, and his judgment is as much a product of his love as his mercy and his grace. If you don't see that, you will always have a warped attitude about God. You will always see God as kind of like grandfather in the sky who pats everybody on the head and says, now, now, don't do that anymore. But that's not the God we serve. I could have no respect for such a God. My God loves me, but I also know I stand before him. He's a holy and righteous God, and I stand in awe of who he is. Now, there's a reward The martyred saints will be honored in heaven forever. But even before that, listen to this, before they're honored in heaven forever, they're going to be honored on earth. And I kind of pull this out of another text in the book of Revelation because it's so very pointed about this particular thing. Let me read to you from the 20th chapter of Revelation, verses 4 and 5. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now watch this carefully. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Now watch. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So these who have given their lives for their faith during the tribulation period, these martyred saints, the Bible says that during the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, they are going to be reigning and living with Christ throughout the whole world and given a place of honor, maybe even on the thrones that are mentioned at the beginning of the verse. There's a reward for those who serve the Lord. You've heard the story, and now you know what the Scripture says about the story what does this all mean to us today? It isn't just in ancient history that people die for their faith. It's not even just in the future, in the tribulation, that people will die for their faith. Men and women, Christians around the world today are suffering for their faith. We live in a time when it is no longer popular to be a Christian. You may think that that's not true, but if you just stop and think about the way it was maybe 10 years ago and the way it is now, there is more tolerance for just about anyone in our culture today than there is for a person who says, I am a born-again Christian. The enemy has successfully painted us as bigots, as people who are stuck in our own ways and don't have any time for other people. I remember as a young man growing up that when you said you were a Christian, people may not have wanted to be one, but they respected you because you were one. That's no longer true. As we can see from history and from current events, persecution and martyrdom are the norm for Christians. 
And as Revelation 6 shows us, it is also the norm for the future. The dark Lord of this fallen world cannot tolerate opposition to his program to take out everything that's good and everything that's godly. And so he stands against anyone who will so live. These martyrs, past, present, and future, provide ample examples of courage that should inspire us to a deeper commitment to Christ and a determination to stand strong for him no matter what the cost. Maybe you work in a place where you feel like you take some heat because of your faith. Maybe you've been getting some pushback from your neighbors. But when you see what our forefathers have done for us, you know, we stand on their shoulders. Do you not know that? We're here today in this place worshiping the Lord God without any armed guards around because some folks before us were willing to pay the price for their faith. I don't know if I'll live long enough to see that in my generation, but I tell you what, I see more of it now than I ever dreamed I would back then. And I came across a verse that I've always read and not really read. And I want to read it for you today, and I want you to read it with me because it says something even more than I thought it said. You'll find this verse in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, and I want us to read it out loud. Can we read it out loud together? Here we go. Ready? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, the way I used to read that verse was all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But it says more than that, doesn't it? It says if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. If you want to step out and take a stand, if it's your heart to step out and take a stand, and you're in the process of trying to take a stand, get ready. If you desire to live godly. I remember when my children were in the schools, I used to talk about how peer pressure works, even in a Christian school. Sometimes you put your kids in a Christian school and you think, oh, thank God, now they're safe and I can go about my life and not worry about what's going to happen to my kids. Not. (laughs) The peer pressure in a Christian school is such that if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be shot at by your friends. Can I get a witness? It's true. In a Christian church, if you want to live above the way most people live out their lives, You know, many people, they want to be Christians, but not so Christian. You know, they want to live their lives enough Christian to get some of the benefits, but not so Christian that they get any criticism. So they straddle the fence with one foot over here and one foot over here, and they try to be not so Christian. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, men and women, most of us, we're not going to be asked to give our lives for what we believe. We're not going to be asked to die for our faith, but Almighty God has asked us to live for our faith. In many respects, it's harder to live for your faith than it is to die for your faith. When you die for your faith, it's over. But you got to live for your faith every single day, don't you? you got to get up every day and say, Lord God, I love you. I want to live for you. I want to serve you today. Help me to bring your influence wherever I go and not to do anything today that denies who you are or brings reproach upon your name, and then day by day, you live like that with all your heart. The truth of the prophetic scripture casts its shadow before it. Why does God give us these stories? To help us see 
where this is all headed so that once we know where it's all headed, we can back up and say, okay, we're in the chute, <laughs> headed that way. Let's be strong. Let's be courageous. Let's be men and women of God who are not afraid to stand up for what we believe. Let me give you the most encouraging illustration of that in all the Bible. You remember in the book of Daniel, the three Hebrew children were told that they were to bow down before the king in his image, and they refused to do it. Then they're brought before the tribunal, and they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace because of their unwillingness to bend to the desires of the wicked king. And they gave a little speech. It's my favorite speech in all the Bible. Here it is. Well, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Take that. Amen? And God, as you know, did deliver them. Well, you see, they were ready, if God didn't deliver them, to say, we are not going to give ground here to the enemy. We're going to stand for what we believe. You know, as a pastor, a minister of the Word of God, sometimes if you're not careful, you begin to think, maybe I've become archaic. I still believe this Bible means what it says. I still believe that if it makes common sense, don't seek any other sense. I still believe that you don't have to mythologize it to make it relevant. I still believe that if it says it, it means it. We should read it and then do it. But those of us who believe like that are becoming, I don't have an Elijah complex, but we're becoming fewer and fewer. Every day across my desk, I get material from people that just shock me to death, telling us that we should no longer be concerned about the study of the Bible. We've been studying the Bible too much. Maybe we shouldn't study it nearly as much. If I told you who said that, it would shock you to death. So I just want to encourage you to stand for what you believe, and I know that when you do that, you will encourage me to do that. We live in a very troubled and difficult day And what the world is looking for are some people like Daniel Goldman in my story and some people who had the courage of those about whom we have spoken in the tribulation and the three Hebrew children in the Old Testament who in face of the enemy's threats stand in the power of God on the word of God and acknowledge their allegiance to God. May God help us all to be men and women who have steel in our souls to stand for the truth. Amen. Amen. So glad you've been with us during these last days as we've been unfolding what's going to happen in the future. You know, one of the blessings of this is to realize that this is a record of what will be happening on the earth during the seven years of tribulation. But we know from our study already that we'll be in heaven. The Bible says that before all of this starts, we're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord if we know Christ. And if you do not know him, uh, you need to make sure that you seriously consider your relationship to God and the understanding that the only way you can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. He said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. If you've been 
uh, playing around the edges of faith and not really getting to the center of it, let me point you to the center. His name is Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in him, when you ask him to forgive you of your sin, you can become a Christian. And you can become a Christian right now, right where you are, by simply praying the sinner's prayer, acknowledging that you have sinned and that you want God to forgive you, accepting the penalty that was paid for your sin by Jesus Christ, and accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. My friend, do that today. And then let us know that you've done it so that we can give you some information. We have a couple of special uh, pamphlets that we like to send to people who accept Christ. They help you get started right. They answer some of your initial questions, and they get you off on the right foot. We'd love to send them to you. They're free. All you have to do is ask for them. Let us know how you received Jesus Christ, where and when, and what were the details that brought you to that point. And then don't forget to join us tomorrow as we um, move into the last message of this month. Two messages, actually. This is part one on the 144,000 tomorrow here on Turning Point. We'll see you then. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you share with us how Turning Point is helping you in your daily walk? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, David's new resource that reveals the meanings of numbers in Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible. I came across a pearl of wisdom that says, the person who knows everything has the most to learn. 
that was certainly true in Jesus' day. The religious scholars in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and scribes, thought they knew everything. And indeed, they knew a lot about the laws of God and their own laws. But that didn't keep them from having no knowledge of what God was doing right before their eyes. Their great knowledge blinded them to who Jesus Christ was. It takes great humility to say, Lord, teach me. But God blesses that kind of humility while he opposes those who know it all. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the knowledge of God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.